Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge, and my guest today is Tiffany Fox Quintana. She is the VP of Marketing of Stamply and has an amazing uh, full scale marketing resume that we're going to dig into. But first, I want Tiffany, do do an intro of yourself and Stamply for the audience who doesn't know you yet. Sure, absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, so I'm the VP of marketing at Stamply. I've got well over too many years of experience <laughs> in marketing, so I won't age myself, but um, probably the next thing will tell you exactly how it is. So I cut my teeth really in marketing uh in um, the ISP space and then more into uh, cloud infrastructure and computing and then more into the B- more B2B consumer type play uh, with HelloSign um, and now at Stamply. So lots of uh, great fun uh, along the way. And then you, you did, it did tug on my heartstrings to see Earthlink. I have to tell you, like, there's just like <laughs> You know, brought oh, me back. I know, so, yeah. I know. <laughs> it was a great company for sure, for sure. Um, but just a little bit about Stamply and what we do. Uh, Stamply um, is an AP automation platform. So it's what really we do is it's the most powerful way to process and pay your invoices. And uh, really the flexibility with Stamply comes from its uh, collaboration um, and flexibility is what gives it, makes it so powerful on that end. So as AP, as companies scale, those AP processes just become more and more complex. It becomes, you know, more than just paying the bill, right? You know, there's a lot of complexity that goes into it. You've got to really start thinking, um, you know, about uh, all of the places it needs to be allocated, getting the right approvers and um, a ton of really detailed stuff that is put on these small AP teams just in general. I mean, they need to really be like the stewards um, of the company money and, you know, make sure that what's coming in needs to be paid is legitimate, that it's not fraud and they get all the right approvals and it's going to the right place and the right GLs. And, you know, when that's just done manually, it's just prone to lots of errors. They've got to track down all of this information from various places. And it just becomes, you know, especially as that invoice volume increases and your vendors increase, 
just becomes a very complex issue. So, you know, our platform solves for all of that. We uh, integrate uh, into just about any process you can imagine uh, that's out there because we built it to be flexible. So, you know, Stamply fits into where you need to automate the most and helps you do that. Uh, We do use AI and machine learning, but really I think some of the most powerful things with Stamply is that we actually build in communications to our platform. So you can ask anybody anything about a specific invoice and it's completely tracked in there. It's almost like Slack inside. And so all that entire conversation is connected to that invoice. So you can go back and look at the whole history and, you know, as an approver for, uh, you know, marketing and being in, you know, marketing for years, um, we often spend a lot of money in marketing, right? So we do have a lot of invoices to approve and going through and reconciling everything at the end of the month. Um, and I actually find it to be the most powerful tool I've used for approving any invoices that's been out there. It's just easy to see. I can check past things as well. And, you know, it's um, it, it really is marrying like the power of both finance and uh, fintech and SaaS together because we do offer an optional pay Stamply direct pay. So you can pay with Stamply using ACH or paper checks um, or you can pay outside doing anything you want. And uh you know, it's a, a rising leader for sure. We've been named on G2 Crowd's list of uh, leader of AP automation uh, two to- uh, six times in a row now. And 100% we're number one for satisfaction across the board. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I we're not a huge company and I already thrilled to not do AP and to, <laughs> you know, outsource some of that to, you know, uh, human service. And as as that scales out, you can imagine you can't go linear or just keep hiring more people just to pay the bills, Yeah, uh, you know, which creates more bills. So, you know, <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. So, yeah, that that totally makes sense to me. And with proper budgeting, if you can't go back and allocate, you know, your actuals against your projected, how do you ever know yeah. how you're performing? And I, I imagine that problem gets worse and worse and worse. So. Uh, yes, very awesome thing to to solve. Yeah, there. and one one thing I will add too, like as a marketer, like I'm very revenue focused and very pay close attention to my budget. And so for me, I need to make sure that things are going to the right allocations. You know, I don't want like contractor fees in something that maybe was used for acquisition. So it's important for me to see that to really start to understand how all of my different channels are performing. Right, right. Every group would, I imagine, would be into this. Marketing probably spends a great deal of money for, for, a, for certainly for a SaaS company. I mean, you'd be about yeah. like thirty percent of revenue or something. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess everybody cares where the money is going there. And I imagine for like technology teams, like a CTO or yeah. uh, something of, of that nature, and a product would be really wanting to track how that goes along the product lifecycle. I can imagine customer success. You know, any type of onboarding team, depending on where you classify that, you know, is yeah. that a revenue function or not? And yeah, I mean, it makes immediate sense. Why wasn't this solved before? You know, <laughs> or, uh, did y'all get to swing in on uh, some some legacy yeah. solutions and kind of beat them up a little bit? 
Yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot of the technology out there is, you know, kind of old and, uh, you know, and are, you know, very heavy, clunky type material that needs to be, you know, fully programmed and hard coded in. And, you know, with the power of SAS, you can, you know, use things like AI and machine learning to start to learn uh, from all the past uh invoices and how those were quoted and how they were got to the right approvers. So you actually learn a lot from the data that you have in there. It's a, it's a nice blend of that. And so there are other players out there for sure. Like you said, you have an outsourced service. There are people who will do outsourced AP um, and they may do it with, you know, tons of AP folks uh, doing that for you. Um, or they have, uh, you know, maybe software that was developed in, you know, 1999. So it's uh it's a great kind of software, right? Yeah, Back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that you could have downloaded on Earthlink, right? So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or not downloaded. I guess at 99, what, we were just, you know, shipping CDs around. I, I can't oh, even remember. I know. shipped a ton of CDs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. That's, those are the good old days. Yeah. It was. <laughs> um, yeah, that makes a total sense. And I mean, it seems like from your history that you have moved through a bunch of different process sort of improvement branding types of things. I mean, we're big HelloSign users. So oh, awesome. um, I, in fact, I've built the last several companies that, that we have on, on HelloSign's uh, e-signatures and different things yeah. there. So yeah, I totally get it. How do you, um, this, is, this would be great for our audience because we, we talk sometimes about branding, but people sort of don't brand a B2B service as something special, you know, that it's just, it, it can be, in fact, I see this with clients all the time, it can be heavily commoditized because there are a lot of competitors, but I, I think that you can brand, you know, even uh, uh, something that isn't in the, you know, sort of magic quadrant of awesomeness, like yeah. <laughs> you can you can stand out as a, a B2B service provider and create a brand. And it's so rarely about features. It's really yeah. about benefits. Uh, I imagine train us a little bit on revenue focused marketing as near and dear to my heart, because I like working closely from the sales seat, you know, with yep. our marketing colleagues. Well, you know, just to kind of back up a little bit, even on the brand stuff, I do think that one of the most important things in B2B is it doesn't need to be boring and it doesn't need to be all technical and enterprisey talk. Um, I think the most important thing to remember is that you are still selling to a human and you need to talk to them, to their emotion, to their, what, what is going to trigger, what is it? in it for them, uh, from that extent. Like when I was at Rackspace, I did a lot of work with developer marketing. And so it really understanding the developer was important. You know, developers do not want, they, they do not trust marketing at all. Right. So oh, no, and or sales either. Or I mean, sales, 100%. really, really hard group to sell to. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet they're highly targeted, right. Cause they actually, you know, that organization controls a lot of spend. Yes. And um, but man, are they just anti sales yeah. and work? I mean, they don't buy any of that fluff. So you nope. did like developer relations and community okay. building, I bet. Right. Uh, well, so I ran uh, a startup program at Rackspace. So 
what we did is we actually tried to help startups out there. And so it was, we'd give them free service on there up to a certain amount. And, you know, we would uh, offer mentoring and a lot of different uh, opportunities like that. Um, get them. We had a, you know, a whole, I guess, pre-podcast, but we had a video uh, studio where the uh, startups would come in and they would get interviewed. And, you know, we would try to promote them as well. And so it was really more about trying to be helpful than uh, be salesy in that sense. And yeah, and we'd have art. And the most important thing I think I learned from that is, you know, we used to do a ton of trade shows um, to all the various, you know, developer type conferences and guess who they did not want to speak to marketers for sales. So our actual, our rackers would, you know, our frontline technical rackers were the ones that were in the booth and they were the ones having the conversations. And I think, you know, that is what's really important when you're trying to, you need to communicate to your audience the way they want to be communicated to. Right, right. So how does that come forward to the the wonky, you know, finance functions? And I mean, you're, what are you primarily talking to controllers now? And, you know, and people like, I mean, that's not a typical audience that gets sold to. So yeah. I guess in that sense, I, it used to be, I don't know if it's still the case, the CFO is the least targeted of all of the C-suite to, to get sold to. I suspect that that maybe isn't the case as much as it used to be with, with fintech, just and yeah. business tech, just dominating everything in SaaS. Yeah. Everybody wants to fix the automate the back office now. Um, you know, I do find too that uh, CFOs are very similar to developers. When you kind of think about the way a, a CFO might think, it's it's very analytical. It's very numbers driven, obviously, um, but they're also very skeptical, and they know what the benefit that they need to see is. And you know, same with a controller, right? And so, what we try to do is make sure that they understand the value of Stamply and how it's going to help them, how it helps their organization. So with our software, this, you know, CFO can see full insights into everything that's going on with all the invoices being processed, but even more so their AP team's productivity increases as well. So they're able to get invoices uh, processed and approved and paid like five times faster than they would if they're doing it all manually and trying to find all of that stuff uh, independently. So in order for them to see the value of it, they're seeing, wow, my team is more efficient. Um, I'm actually saving money. I'm not getting dinged on late fees. So there's a lot of benefits in it that you need to speak to what's important to them. And, and, and I also think, you know, being transparent and upfront and, you know, making sure that we are going to be a good fit for them is important too. And not just trying to sell them every little thing down the road. Yeah, absolutely. When you position a B2B product, and I, I often have to do this from the messaging standpoint, from the sales angle, maybe if marketing hasn't kept up yet, we work with a lot of smaller organizations where you're, in some cases, only going to fund marketing or sales. So you know we have to step in and do a little messaging work on the, on the sales side. But uh, when you do that, I wonder, how do you distill for a new brand that way or a brand that maybe that isn't exactly value positioned, how do you get to that? Because I'm thinking when I do it or, you know, I sort of fake it, it's probably not as good as what you guys do. But, you know, I, I sort of think about what's the chatter like inside the organization I want to sell to such that I know, you know, it's almost like if I could listen in there, what are they complaining about? 
you know, positioning it so that you might say, like, what are marketing people saying in this org? And what are, in your case, you know, controllers saying in this org? And like, you just tapped on it before, like, man, we pay so many late fees because we don't have our act together. Like, that's, that's so visceral and yet not linked in any way to selling by, by feature, which I think B2B companies try so hard to do for wrong reasons. Exactly. It's all about what's in it for me, right? Like I need to tell you what you're going to get from benefiting anything. And you also need to understand how you're, how you're different from the rest of the competitive landscape. So if you don't understand the competitive landscape, you don't understand what your competitors are doing. How can you tell a CFO or somebody you know, why yours is better than every other thing that they've seen, right? You have to kind of get beyond the skepticism. So really understanding how you lay up against the rest of your competitors is, I would say, key one. And then understanding who it is that's going to buy this service, right? This is where you start your persona building and all that fun stuff. But I, you know, I um, I have a background in, in psychology. I graduated with a degree in psychology and never went into the field. But for me, that is always what what took me there was about wanting to understand what made people tick. And so I take that same approach when I'm trying to sell to somebody, why would somebody want this? What's it going to benefit? And, you know, like with our product, it might be the controller that is making the buying decision or the CFO. um, But really the benefit is with his, with his or her AP team. Right. And they are the ones who are carrying the burden. We're not trying to replace them at all. And I think that's also a big fear that a lot of AP people might have. But AP automation isn't necessarily meant to replace. It's meant to uh, enhance and give you the tools that you need to get your job done. And I think, you know, you have to identify what are the fears? What are the obstacles? How do you overcome them? And put that together in a story that actually communicates to somebody's emotions and not just the pocketbook. I think that's the the most important thing to really ensure that they are seeing those benefits, that they see how it's going to actually help them. And, you know, not just trying to sell on price because it's B2B and I've got 552 features. Yeah, absolutely. How do you get the conversations with the people? Like, because in your case, you need to make evangelists out of, you know, the AP folks to be able to articulate the things that they don't like about their job, that you can actually solve some of that and unscare them because, oh, the AIs are coming. And, <laughs> you know, and, you know, that conversation is ridiculous, but happens all the time. But they're also not the decision maker. So you, you have a mid-level influencer that you need to be aware of what you do and the value you add to kind of rah-rah your decision up the chain to the person that actually pays the bill. Like it's, it's complicated. It is, it is. And I think there's a fear with AP that, you know, I am going to be replaced by this, but it needs to be positioned in a way when you're kind of selling upward in an organization, like this is actually going to help you, Mr. Controller, Ms. Controller, right? Like if, if you from a, just like any business case building, they can, but we do target directly the, um, you know, the controller and the, the business buyer itself. And a lot of CFOs and controllers are really 
keen to start, you know, modernizing these uh, infrastructure that's there. They are well aware and educated on the various technologies. And so like a marketer, right, they're building their fintech stack or they're building their stack on that. Like we built our MarTech stack. So um, people are just becoming more sophisticated on all things, you know, digital. And so it's, uh, it becomes easier to actually sell in those senses because people want that to happen. And especially with COVID, right, it kind of drove everybody to make sure that they could enable everything remotely. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of us benefited from that in, in all types of, not, I don't say benefited, but, you know, sort of <laughs> like the change could could have been used in, in good ways for some businesses. And, it, and I think that's that's been valuable for SaaS companies particularly. Um I wonder about, you know, sort of how do you think about it when you're a point solution, you know, and a lot of businesses now, like you get a little bit of this like death by a thousand SaaS cuts, you know, so your ERP type of solutions like a NetSuite or something is going to say, oh, we do all that stuff. You know, you you know, one stop shop for all the things. And um you know, on the other side, you can implement the best of breed point solution, such as Stamply and HelloSign and, you know, you name it, sort of cobble together your thing, use a bunch of zaps to tie it all together, you know, and put it all in your Asana project. And do you see pushback there on businesses starting to be like, geez, I subscribe to this insane stack of things that I now have an implementation problem of making sure it all talks to each other. Yeah. And that uh, it's it's almost getting to where it's like it's like not cheaper like when you look at your the consumer version of this for anybody that doesn't do this type of work would be like you know i now have so many streaming services that it costs more than what my cable used to cost right right so businesses are facing that too you know and we go through our thing and we go we can't turn any of these off but they're all 15 dollars a seat for yeah you know whatever (laughs) uh, it's expensive it can, you know, I think, you know, if you're not, uh, if you don't have a strategy behind it, it can absolutely get expensive. And, you know, we actually connect into an ERP. So ERP is, you know, it's interesting. Our founder actually came from uh, implementing ERPs and, you know, kind of the whole BPM type world, uh, you know, way back. And, you know, those are long, uh, lengthy project implementations. They're extremely costly and there's a lot of uh, sweat and tears and, you know, from that. So an investment in an ERP is not, you know, not going away anytime soon. And so we actually integrate into it. And I think that's what you're starting to see, especially with the rise of APIs and people being able to easily connect to those things. And as you're building an ERP, you know, you're, you're very horizontal. You've got all these different systems that you're going into, but you don't go very deep into one particular thing like AP. When you think about all the things that NetSuite has and all the things that they're offering, their level of depth is not going to be as deep as we've gone into that one specific function. And so um, we actually enhance, we, we partner with NetSuite and Sage Intact, and, you know, we integrate to just about any ERP you can think of. And so um, we actually enhance the functionality of them because we're giving them where they weren't going as deep. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So the integration of the point solutions across the board and and I think that makes a lot of sense. So switch, we'll switch to your path now. Like what uh, major learnings, 
I like the stories of, you know, assumptions that were made that maybe didn't end up so exactly what you thought it was going to be. And, you know, I'd love to hear your stories, lessons learned, um, you know, the, the key things that you picked up over the, the course of being a brand, you know, marketer over all that time. Yeah. And I would, I would actually say I'm, I would be more of a performance-based marketer focusing on acquisition. And, um, you know, for me, you know, early on in my career, um, when I, I worked at Earthlink, Netcom, uh, you know, a bunch of these ISPs, and we had a huge emphasis on understanding our customer acquisition costs. Back then we called it a subscriber acquisition cost. We had a lot of fun with that acronym. And then... <laughs> Um, and, and so I think one of the biggest learnings to me was the importance of understanding, measuring your success in marketing. And, um, it is not about how many leads you can generate to me. It's all about how much revenue do those leads generate? That tells me the quality of it. And so, um, I would say my biggest learning, and I, like I mentioned before, I have a, I graduated with a degree in psychology, my biggest learning and things I will tell anybody is take some business classes because you don't, if you don't understand business, you're never going to know how to improve your marketing. Um, I think those were, that was probably like my biggest thing. And I, and, and over the course of, you know, these years, I have tried to learn more and more about how businesses work and how marketing plays into it. And, um, I also think too, marketing is an important function of an organization, but all functions are important. And sometimes I think that marketing gets ahead of itself on, well, I'm doing everything. Well, you're doing part of it. It's all a process. It's all coming together. And, um, you know, and, and I think too, like when you're thinking about like crazy brand ideas, those are the things that you will be surprised. Sometimes they work wonderful and other times not so well. Um, but you've got to, you know, you've got to try and, uh, sometimes experiment with those things and, you know, figure out how to do it in a way that's not going to significantly damage any reputation that you have, um, as well. Um, I think some of the biggest learnings that I've had and like is uh, really understanding that I don't always know my blind spots. And so you actually have to listen to others when they're telling you what they are. You are going to immediately disagree with it, but um, they're actually trying to be helpful in those things. And I sometimes wish earlier in my career I had listened more uh, intently. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, I, I just did an episode yesterday where we're we were talking about you can you can really remember the times you didn't listen when it cost you at least six seven figures down the road. You know, yeah. that's like and absolutely as your maturity in experimentation and entrepreneurship goes. You know, you try as hard as you can to reduce the number of zeros. Uh, that are impacted by your bad decisions so, <laughs> from a risk tolerance standpoint. And that's an interesting question. We have a lot of founders that, that come on. And as far as I could see, you haven't been a founder. You, yeah. you have been in uh, the marketing seat. Have you ever thought about being a founder or how have you avoided it? Because you must have been approached or, you know, sort of thought that uh, someone who can do the marketing magic that you can do would at least want you to be a consultant. So yeah, 
Yeah, actually, I um, I love helping startups build and get off the ground and, you know, try to think about what is that brand going to be. Um, no, I, I have not uh, been a founder and I certainly have thought about it. Um, and I do think you need to have the right partner, though. Right. It's not, um, you know, something that I would do on my own necessarily. Um, I would want to find the right person. And, you know, a friend of mine, we do sometimes talk about uh, doing different things, getting into different areas of, uh, you know, business. But um, I do think that I do find some of my greatest joys in actually helping get a brand off the ground, get a company off the ground, get a startup successful. And, you know, even like I'd mentioned when I was at Rackspace, we did a lot of work with startups. That was part of just something I love doing is hearing about what they were doing, giving them any ideas I had that might be helpful and if they could take it anywhere. Um, you know, I think those are always exciting things to do. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe someday we'll uh, venture into the field. <laughs> I mean, I think you did it the right way, honestly, like learning about psych and then learning about business. I can tell you that I do the opposite of what you said, having been steeped in business forever. I go back and study psych. So, you know, like it's it's critically important to understand how people think. And, and I'm glad that I uh, I spent the time thinking about and, and reading, you know, I it's not that I have. Uh, a, a real academic study on it, but you know, the, I don't know, like a uh, Robert Cialdini and, uh, and the, the Voss books and different things about, you know, negotiations and influence and persuasion. Those, those are huge deals when you're writing messages that you hope someone will read and <laughs> you want copy that you want someone to read. And, you know, I, what, for people that want to get better at marketing, you know, that maybe I've been in all the other seats. This was my journey. You know, it was the last thing I learned and I should have learned it first. I'm curious what what suggestions would you have to drive that personal education? Because, I mean, marketing is crazy now. Like there's a million just on your profile. It's like, here are all the things I do. And you kind of go, how do I even get into that? I could read blog posts for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, I would say one of the first things you should do if you want to go into marketing is sit in sales for a little while. And and the reason I say that is because as a marketer, I look at I've got, you know, two internal clients. I've got product development that I need to help translate everything to externally. And then I've got sales and I've got to help them in many different fronts. Right. So if I uh, and, and so I actually started my career in sales, I answered the phone and sold dial up Internet access to folks. And I knew every you know area code in the country. But um, it, the thing is, like, I also saw how being in sales, if I wasn't supported from marketing, and, and so I think you've got to think about your internal clients and then your external brand, but uh, what is it that I need to do? Sales does need leads, but they need quality leads. They need leads that are going to help them close. They need to be uh, informed on how to best sell the product. And so I think if you start with the basics of understanding what the function of marketing is, that then you can find 
in the interim, contractors to help in various things. You can find tons of online classes to learn. I mean, you know, Google has all their certifications ready for you to learn and go. They want you to learn how to do AdWords, right? They want you to learn. <laughs> oh, yes, they yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, all of those tools are available, but I would start with the basics of understanding what really is the role of marketing. What is their primary function? And when you're going to join a new organization, um, I think you need to understand what part of marketing is your biggest miss? Like, is it, I have no brand or is it, I have no leads or is it, I don't know what the hell we're even doing. You know, I think, uh, you got to understand where their greatest need is. And so it's really trying to meet those needs. And, and then once you get those bases, you can learn everything else. It's really not that, it's really not that hard. <laughs> there, I, I think it's become tactically muddled and it's been merged so much with like the MarTech stack is ridiculous now, you know? Yeah. So like you, you almost have this paralysis of, I don't know, like which of the hundred thousand different tools should I even try to tack together? Yeah. You know, from a, from a channel standpoint, you know, just pick one or two and be good yeah. at it and make sure that you are in the right one or two by doing some yeah. testing and then try to optimize that channel because the siren song of all the things it's like it'll completely wipe you out and you'll do a crappy job on content partnering you know building a community like all the things you can't do them all Uh, i think that's the biggest problem for marketing yeah. And I think the thing with marketing too, is you got to make sure you've got a multi-channel approach. And so you can't just be paid search, right? You do need some paid search. You, you're going to do that. You're going to do it, but you also need to make sure your organic channels are growing and making sure you've got the content that's going to actually grow those for you. Um, you know, one thing that I think is really important is creating that content. Then of course that meets the needs of your audience. When we're talking, um, finance stuff, I, you know, I need to find people who understand finance to write about finance. I need to make sure that they understand AP to write about AP. And so when you don't have that, you know, expertise and knowledge, you're not going to reach the audience and, you know, none of your organic and SEO efforts are really going to, uh, work. Um, we actually have spent a ton of time doing SEO, um, at Stamply. And I think it's really, paid off, uh, in, in, in many different ways. Um, you know, we focus on, you know, big keywords, but also the entire long tail of keywords as well. And then we're making all of that content, you know, work with each other to push it forward. And it's one of our top producing channels for sure. Yeah. Tons of work goes into that, making that pillar content and then coming off the sides and making sure every long tail keyword and, from what I understand now, SEO has become quite a bit more discerning. You know, you used to be able to just stuff a page with a bunch of keywords and it was kind of garbage, but now we're really doing authority-based marketing. So all kinds of content that, you know, Google, et cetera, can figure out whether or not your content is actually good, you know, instead of just having a high backlink rating. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's, um, nothing I hate more than keyword stuffed content. I mean, as soon as I get on a page with that, I'm done, 
you know, and it's, you, you jump off right away. And that is, uh, the most frustrating thing ever. And it's one of the things where, you know, with one of our first, uh, with an agency that we used once, it was just keyword stuffed content period. And I couldn't handle it. And so we actually started working more with real writers that are going to go out and find the subject matter experts, uh, on that front. Yeah, people uh, snapping up all the journalists that are <laughs> getting laid off because they're actually really, really good at making investigative and you know deep and thoughtful, long form content. So you know, look for those folks if you're if you're hiring because they they Absolutely. are really, really good at this. Yes, and they are. <laughs> It's like uh, when all the consulting companies snapped up all the librarians because they knew how to do the Dewey Decimal System. So, yeah, definitely um, be smart about the hiring there. Yeah. How do you how this this is probably a huge one because, you know, consultants, agencies, you know what I mean? You get bombarded with people that want to do lead gen for you, you know, want to do marketing for you. Like, how do you even go about finding a good partner that that fits you? Is there any rubric that isn't that you you could share in a minute or is it just that complicated you know first I think it's about understanding what the needs I have are right like what is it I'm trying to solve for because it's so easy to get uh, excited about every new piece of technology that's out there and like oh I need this I need this right um my husband always accused me that I fall for everything because I'm in marketing so <laughs> Um, but you know, it's true. It's like, so before you actually go out and try to solve something with, you know, create a problem for the solution that you want, you got to really look at your entire problem and, and see what can actually be solved first and how it can be solved instead of like trying to adapt the solution to the problem you may not have. Because a lot of times you, and this kind of goes back to your whole thing on point solutions, you realize that you might need something more comprehensive uh, to actually solve what you're trying to do. So really forcing yourself to go back and, you know, evaluate what it is that you need and then find the solutions for that. And so like as a marketer, I get pushed a ton of stuff constantly <laughs> through my inbox that I miss things. Right. And, um, you know, I, you know, unless it's like really compelling, um, and they actually impress me, uh, with the way they've approached me and something that I would actually want to share with my sales team, I usually don't respond. And so like as a marketer, I want you to impress me so much with the way you've tried to outreach to me that I got excited and that, because I'm kind of judging, I'm looking at every email I get and I'm thinking, oh, this is how you did it. Ooh, I like how you did that. I'm going to actually talk to you. Yeah, I'm going to talk to you and I might lift that technique because you yeah. actually got, you know, the, the big thing now is like the pattern interrupt, you know, like yeah. how did you break through to my brain that is completely abused by these messages? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, very interesting stuff. Yeah, um, it's nonstop. Um, on that. I mean, and of course we're contributing to that, but it's, you know, you want, <laughs> right. you want to make sure that, um, you know, you can get their attention and, and what are those things that actually work? And that's usually how I discover the next thing I'm going to do, right. The next, uh, technology we may really need. And then I start to think about, could this solve many different things? And then that I usually was, opens <laughs> up that, that problem set, right? I always wonder how many amazing solutions exist behind awful market that we never know about, you know, like, 
that that's the one that's like i want to look at all of them because like what if the thing is really good it's just the marketing is awful yeah and you know i guess you can't you can't win them all so <laughs> i was gonna say i uh so um when i a long time ago one of my uh email marketers had sent out an email and it went out with dear first name and so <laughs> i think it's happened to many but the way he approached it was um look, I'm going to completely own this and apologize. And so he actually emailed everybody that got the dear first name and, you know, said, I am so sorry. I've got really fat fingers. Look at them. They're chubby. He took a picture of it and sent it in there. I mean, it was one of the best responses ultimately to that because he owned that. And, you know, and I had just sent him, um, afforded him an email because I got a dear first name yesterday from someone. <laughs> and I was, you know, and then they didn't, the way they responded was they just sent, sent me another one with dear Tiffany, you know, and that's like, and it was the same exact one. So I think some, maybe I should go invent a technology to prevent, uh, the dear first name <laughs> from going out. <laughs> you should, I don't know. <laughs> I know we've, I've done it, you know, or, or, you know, I grabbed a template and it has the wrong name, which is even, even worse, or you, a bad search and replace, or I know like, the, I mean, all the email tools now, they, they have like six hoops that you need. To, are you sure you want to send? Do you want to review? Do you want to send a test email? Like, I mean, they know, but there is no talk about AI and ML, yeah. you know, based yeah. solution. Like, is anybody going to get a really stupid email from this when I hit go like that? Yeah. Yeah. That is a tool that we should all have. So. The, the stupid sentiment analysis. <laughs> yeah, I think you're onto something. You should definitely right. start that business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look forward to the launch. All right. So what's next in all the things, uh, Tiffany, you know, what are you thinking about as you look forward the next few years? Maybe it's Stampley. Maybe it's it's your broad sort of psychology marketing thing. Uh, give us the futurist hat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably Stampley, right? I love, I love working here. I think it's one of the best companies I've, I've worked for in a long time. And, you know, I think, you know, for me though, one of the things that I really do want to do is just continue to help, um, other startups, to be honest. Like I would, I would open it up to anybody who wants some, you know, thoughts or advice on things to reach out to me. I'm very happy to kind of provide that ongoing uh, mentorship and help. And if anything I can do to help, I would love to. So I, I see myself staying really involved in kind of a, a, the startup scene and um, getting more involved from that aspect. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, how do people reach out to you? What's the preferred channel? <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is great. And there's lots of messages there. Uh, they can email me as well. I would say, uh, you know, tiff at foxquintana.com is a great place to start. Awesome. Yeah, well, we will definitely make sure to put links into profiles and stuff like that. Tiffany, thank you so much. This was super informative and it was awesome for you to come on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.